0: Here's the pitch.
1: Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Top Fifteen, ten, 5, down. The Buffalo's at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room.
0: He's got three people down there, the ball's up in the air, caught, touchdown! Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown! Here's the toss plate of there, breaks the tackle, touchdown, touchdown! That's five for Chris Brown! Five-step drop, Sefo Lufout wants the deep ball. a new Buff Stampede radio. We're going to be talking football in this show. hope you enjoyed our preseason basketball episode earlier in the week. Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com. Here with BSN Denver's Ryan Konigsberg and Buff Stampede fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Seems like a lot of the same topics are kind of cropping up.
2: Yeah, it seems like uh, just another year and a new script. Um, you know, it's the same things. It's the blown opportunities. It's the inability to capitalize Um it's the they were this close. It's the was it a moral victory? It's the same thing yeah. over and over and over again. So yeah, uh, last week on our podcast we joked we're just gonna cut out our comments from the Arizona game and paste them onto the UCLA game because it, you know, it seems like it's the same thing all over the, all over again.
1: Yeah, I think the frustration from the fans is definitely just that. Nothing seems to have changed from last year, you know. Like obviously, this team has been better than they were the couple of years previous, but we just haven't found a way to get over the hump and really make that get that statement win in conference play. I think that's the frustration behind most of what everybody's you know
0: feeling right now. I think pretty much everybody anticipated that they were going to lose that game to Stanford, but not quite forty-two to ten. I think offensively, again, getting stalled in the red zone time after time. You look at the last two games, they've had 10 trips inside the red zone and yet have only scored three touchdowns. You're simply not going to win Pac-12 football games when that's the case. With this Stanford game in particular, scale scale of 1 to 10, how concerning was that blowout loss to you guys?
2: Uh, It's very low for me one, maybe two, and I say that for the reason that the game basically played out the way I expected it to. Um, I predicted 44-24. It's 42-10 in the end. They had some chances that they should have capitalized on, um, and it could have been closer to that, but in the end, it's just they were going to get outmanned. They were were going up against a bigger, stronger, faster team with a line that was going to be able to dominate them and do whatever they want. Um, So to me, the concern level shouldn't be that high because it basically played out the way I expected it to. Just you know, you're going to get beat. They were going to get beat by Stanford, no matter how you sliced it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually thought I was going to be pretty low, sitting at three. Uh, that's the best team we've played all year. It's probably going to be the best team team we play this year in general. Um, if there are ten better teams in the country than them right now in football, it's going to be a really fun playoffs this year. That's what I. That's what. That's kind of my thoughts on Stanford. Yeah, we didn't play well. Obviously, you can't score three points when you, you know, get trips into the red zone like that. That can't happen. Or zero. Um, well, I mean, total. Yeah. 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 So, you um, you know, it's just one of those things that they didn't capitalize on anything on a team that's better than they are and doesn't make mistakes. You could just see kind of how Stanford was controlling the game, that they were just waiting on us to make a mistake knowing that it was going to happen, whether it was on defense or offense, they just controlled the entire game. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is really special. Um, I think even if we played our best football, we're losing that game by 14 to 17 points. So to me, the concern's not that high. I mean, I understand the frustration because it was kind of a step down from we've played pretty well in the last three weeks, uh, at least been competitive in all the games. Um, So people were, you know, disappointed to see us get blown out. But, I mean, that team is very special.
0: Yeah, I was kinda of thinking they'd have to play a perfect game just to have a chance in that football game. And when you saw them as a defense not being able to get off the field early in the game, it just it looked like at any point that was really the floodgates were gonna break open, and that's what happened in that football game. Sefo Lufau Where do you where do you rank it on scale of ten? I'm gonna go a little bit higher in a in a four just because kind of the red zone issues and just you know, Sepho Lufau continuing to, to really not find his groove this season. Obviously, a lot of chatter among the fan base about the quarterback situation. You have a situation where you'd think people would be excited about getting the guy back for his senior season behind center, and that's really not the case, and a lot of anxiety about what that, the future of that immediate future of that position holds. There's three more games. What do you feel like Sefo Lufau needs to do in these final three games for there not to be kind of this, this offseason quarterback controversy going on in Boulder?
1: I would say play really well really well play lights out football I mean the fans have kind of already convinced themselves that a change needs to be made there uh, despite from what we've seen from Cade and Jordan in the past is there's nothing to write home about there and we've all seen him in practice and I think all of us would agree that that's not exactly the direction I think the football program should be taking Um, but it's still going to be out there because that's what the fans are talking about right now I think especially with Montez obviously being eligible to play next year there are going to be a lot of people that are kind of moving onto that bandwagon um, and Sefo hasn't played well enough to really earn the job, I think, going into next year, at least in my eyes. I mean, he's probably the best quarterback for right now, but you know, maybe it'll be good for him to have a little bit of competition going into next year. You know, the position was his going into this year, and I'm not saying he got complacent, but it's a little bit of a different approach when you know that the position isn't yours.
2: Yeah, uh, I really think the only way that he could kind of calm the fans down would be to win all three or at least two two out of three of the games because if they don't win it's just gonna come down to that same narrative that fans are taking that oh he just doesn't have what it takes to win football games you know no matter what i mean he could throw for 450 yards this week um and if they fall short because you know they didn't make the plays necessary in the fourth quarter and lose by a touchdown it's just gonna go back to oh well he just can't get it done he can't get us wins when when it comes to crunch time so i really think he would have to Win at least two, two out of the three, and maybe even three out of the three to really shut up everyone. Um, which I think none of us think is that uh, probable of an outcome. So I think no matter, basically, any outcome that I think is probable uh, is going to end with the fans being looking for who's next going into the offseason.
0: Well, I mean, everyone's got an opinion, and you're gonna—it's gonna be hard to have a hundred percent buy-in from the fans. I guess I'm looking at it more from a legit quarterback controversy with the coaches having to rethink things as well, and I think uh, he would have to really struggle for them to really kind of go into the offseason with a full-on, just straight-up quarterback battle. You said 350 yards passing this week, people would forget. What if that came in the season finale? People have kind of short memories. If you really went on with the final game being uh, you know, a stellar performance. If you- they
2: won, then, then maybe people would be a little bit more quiet. But um, I think just with the way that um, – I think how highly we regard Steven Montez yeah. and kind of the, the hype that's surrounded around him. There's no matter what going to be people thinking that. And, and really the coaches are the only ones who have seen him uh, enough to know if he can challenge for that job next year. Um, so I think it's going to be, you know, an interesting question in the spring to say, you know, is this Cepho's job? Because if you ask Mike McIntyre um, in the press conference after the Utah game, you know, who's your start, is Cepho the starting quarterback going into the spring? He's probably going to say yes. Um, but a week into the spring that's when that question is really going to be worth
0: asking it's kind of like with athletic directors and their head coaches they're going to support them until they don't support Mm -hmm. them and it's going to be at the very end I could see that as well because you don't want Cepo, you want Cepo Lufau to be the guy going in the off season, especially from a leadership position, running uh, those summer workouts and all. Yeah, that. yeah. I think a big part of it is the fact that we've been so high on Stephen Montez, we've let everybody know that, and so I think a lot of them have kind of let that seep in a little mm-hmm. bit. But they don't always
2: fun. listen to us because we t- we try and tell yeah. them about Kate <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: they're just looking for anything positive, I think, to hang their hats on right now, and they're, so they're we're getting ignored from the Kate perspective, and everybody's really hanging on to the positive comments from Montez so yeah
0: well you know Montez has got all the tools but until there's live bullets sometimes you don't know could he be a guy that just immediately drops his head and tries to run every time there's pressure there's going to be a lot of question marks with him obviously but the fact that he is so talented I would think that the leash for Cepho, no matter what's going to be shorter next year knowing that you've got a guy that's capable there on the sideline yeah
2: I mean next year it's going to be one of those things that if this coaching staff is around there's they're going to be coaching for their jobs and and I think, you know, every hot seat list in the country will have them near the top. Um, so it'll be one of those things, if CeFO is the starter going into the season, like you mentioned, uh, and he's not getting it done early, they're going to have to try something. Um, because, you know, in a couple games into a senior season, that's when you're really to the point where you know exactly what you're getting from CeFO. And if that's not enough, you might have to try your hand with the raw talent of Steven Montez. Yeah, I'm actually kind of
1: interested to see how the quarterback competition shapes up next year. Because you're going to have four guys... That have all been kind of talked about and getting playing time, and there's really only three spots, more or less, that most people stick into. So it'll be. I'm kind of curious to see how that shakes out and see if all four end up actually staying next year.
0: We're in agreement that Kate Abse should not be the team, the the guy leading this team right now. Do you open any possibility of the fact that he can keep improving to its at some point be a legitimate candidate there? Uh, not from what I've seen so far, but we
1: don't I haven't got to see him throughout. Practice, so it'll be the big thing for me. Will be next fall camp when we actually get to watch him on a pretty consistent basis, and we'll find out pretty quick how much he really has improved in my eyes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to go too far bashing a kid, but from anything I've seen, I mean, he doesn't have the arm talent. Um, he isn't great. With, he hasn't doesn't have his great great footwork. He is kind of quick. He can he can get around, but um, nothing I've I've ever seen from him leads me to believe, and that includes you know the the whole quarter of play he got this week. Um, has led me to believe that he's a Pac-12 caliber starting quarterback.
0: You saw on that interception he threw that he had made the decision to throw that ball in that spot no matter what happened, and that, that was pretty alarming. I mean, it is, again, such a small sample size, but that yeah, was Yeah, I mean, really he got into
2: double coverage. Yeah, he
1: also oh. threw it. That screen pass was in the air for 14 minutes, the one on the previous drive. I can't <laughs> believe that didn't get picked off either. I mean, you could just see him out there. Just he, It was too quick for him, which, you know, makes sense because it's his first really live game action, but – he would have had to have been special to really turn off some of the doubters who have watched him extensively in practice so Yeah, far. I mean,
2: the good plays he made and the completions he made were hit your back foot and throw it to the number one option, and they just happened to be open.
0: Yeah. Before the season, like every year, we did our top buffs countdown on buffstampede.com, ranking the top 40 returning players. And uh, a couple weeks ago, somebody had posted the top 10 of our list on the board, and it was kind of an eye-opening moment for me going, wow, when – the ten guys you expected to be the best football players had not performed up to the level you wanted. You expected them to. Um, it kind of showed me exactly why this team was struggling. We had Nelson Spruce, number one. Obviously nothing super wrong with that. Josh Tupo, number two. We did the voting before he uh, was suspended. Uh, number three, Tedrick Thompson. Number four, Cheeto Beowuze. Nothing wrong quite yet aside from Josh Tupo not being on the roster. But then here, here's where it kind of gets hairy. Number five, Stefan Nembot number six, Addison Gillum, number seven, Kenneth Crawley, number eight, Sefo Lufau, number nine, Jeremy Irwin. Between injuries and other guys just not performing, that, that that's, those guys have not lived up to our preseason expectation.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I wasn't part of it, but, you know, I, I'm not, I, I would have been near where you guys were. Um, and th- like you said, it's pretty alarming looking at those guys and saying, wow, um, aside from Cheeto, Really, none of those guys have, besides Fields, Cheeto and Fields are the only two who really performed above expectations um, out, out of all those guys. Um, Tedrick has been good, but I wouldn't say he's been the third best player on the team uh, quite. I think he's close. But two players on that list have performed better than we expected them to, um, or at expectations, which is, that's alarming.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it... You know, it's going to come off as an excuse probably, but that's fine. I mean, it's kind of the reality of our situation. If you, if we had told, if we had done this list and then, as a disclaimer said, three of these ten guys are going to miss basically the entire year, how good do you think this team is going to be? There would have been a lot of negative feedback, I think, and that's what's happened here. I mean, Josh Tupel obviously played zero games. Addison Gillum really not much more than that as well. I mean, he was hurt pretty early and didn't get that many snaps. Same thing with Jeremy Irwin. He was out pretty early as well. Um, and then to have Kenneth Crawley, who we all thought I think was going to be pretty good this year, has really struggled. Um, I think Stefan Nembot has been pretty good. I, I would have said he's probably been our best lineman. Um, he's kind of moved all over and by and large done a pretty good job, I think. Um, but still, I mean, you know, it's looking, at, looking up and down the list, you,
0: you it's not that surprising that we're at 4-6. and So we have the uh, hindsight now of 10 games. Let's go back through and re-rank our top 10. Which one of you guys wants to start out here?
1: Um, I'll do mine. I I still kept Nelson Spruce number one. I think some people might argue that that's incorrect, but to me, I I put up some stats on Twitter last week. He's still fourth among um, major conference receivers in catches, um, which I was actually pretty surprised by in 17th in yards. I would imagine he moved up this week because, yeah, it's – Seven for 95? Five. Five for 95? Yeah. Five for 95. So um, it it seems like I, I, I said we we're kind of spoiled spoiled by him because he hasn't been getting into the end zone. I don't think that's necessarily his fault. It blows my mind that a team that's having so many red zone issues isn't getting to a guy who arguably is the best short route runner in the country, the ball more in the red zone, and in third down situations. I'd like to see us really utilize him more because it, it does – I mean, every time we throw to him, he catches the ball. It's not, like, it's not like we're throwing at him all the time and the targets aren't just getting completed. It seems like every time we throw at him, he's open more or less. So, I mean, it just blows my mind that we're not doing that. Um, I'll just go down the rest of the list. I have Cheeto, who's at number um, two. Uh, Tedrick I kept at number three. He hasn't been phenomenal by any means, but super reliable, more than we can say about majority of the defense for me. I have Shea at number four. Uh, despite him missing a couple games with injury, I really would have liked to have seen how good this offense could get clicking if we had Nelson and Shea healthy at the same time for any number of um, consecutive games. Same thing again, Ryan Moeller, number five, has missed a bunch of games in a row, but it was really, really good at the beginning of the year. Um, I would love to see him come back healthy and see what we can do. Another guy, number six, I have Donovan Lee, which is probably higher than most people have him. Mean, he's missed a couple games as well, so it's kind of you know a little theme we have going here. Um, Sepho, I have at number seven, which is higher than we had him in the preseason, which kind of says a lot about what we're, you know, how this season is going. Yeah, say that us says right now.
2: more about the people that were around him. Than right, just exactly. About Sefo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I
1: have Philip Lindsay at number eight. Um, I have Stefan Nembot at number nine, and then Justin Solis at number
0: ten. Okay. Ryan, go
2: ahead. Yeah. Um, I put Cheeto at number one. I just think he, um, is the top talent on this team and he's played like it uh, he, he just makes plays with that defense and I think without that without him on that defense um, they'd be struggling so uh, he truly, to me he's pretty much the best player on this team and, and I don't even question it um, number two I put Shea um, mostly because of how much he's outplayed expectations before he got injured um, he really was probably the best weapon for the offense uh, in those first what was it, six or seven games before he got injured. Um, he was really impressive to me being able to get behind just about anyone they put on him. Whether they connected on it or not was uh, hit or miss, but uh, he, he became, you know, a very, very legitimate weapon for the offense. Uh, three, I put Nelson. Um, well, you know, Tyler basically said all there is to say about Nelson. I put him a little below just because he hasn't had the crazy numbers or the touchdowns this year. Um, it might not really be all, all as much his fault. But I dropped him a little bit. Tedrick, number four, um, really just solid all around. Like you said, most trustworthy, one of the most trustworthy people on the team. Um, five, I have Seppo, and that's it's weird. I I, I, <laughs> I, I I put him there because I just I really don't know what else where who else to put there. Um, and, and like I said, it says more about the people around him than anything else. Um, six is Lindsey. Uh, I wish you could make the running backs just one and stick them somewhere on here, but uh, he's been the most consistent out of anyone to me. Then Donovan Lee, um, legitimate option there. Then Solis, and then Moeller.
0: Okay. I vary a little bit in there. First off, I'll say that Sefo didn't make my top ten list. Okay. I don't feel like
1: he's... I wish I had the guts to do it. I just couldn't find guys that I legitimately were like... Okay. Yeah, I mean...
0: I agree with Ryan. I had Cheeto Beowuze number one. I felt like he's made more real game-changing type of plays yeah, this absolutely. season than Nelson Spruce has. I did have Nelson Spruce number two on my list. Number three, I had Tedric Thompson. So the only guy that's the same as what I thought going into the season. Watching some of these games from the press box, so much is happening. You're so high up sometimes. You don't see the numbers all the time. And there's just times when, like, a play is made, and you know it's either Teju Thompson or Cheeto Bayabuse. Yeah. And you're like, and the four or the nine? Four or nine, yeah, in. yeah. It's just the way they close on ball carriers, and they're just sure tacklers. He's a guy that uh, is, is fun to watch play. Number four, I have Shea Fields, 15 yards per catch. He's got the most uh, touchdown receptions among the receivers. Number five, I've got Justin Solis all the way up there. Uh, he's, you know, been uh, playing a lot more snaps than we expected him to this season. He's been able to make a few plays himself, three sacks, Number six, I have Ryan Moeller. Uh, before he got hurt, he was playing at a, at a pretty high level. Um, number seven, I'm the only one that has Kenneth Olobode in my top ten. I think he gets underappreciated a little bit. Still, though, I will say that I you wouldn't want Kenneth Olobode in your top ten in a perfect world. It's just kind of by default almost. Um, number eight, I've got Jordan Carroll in there. He's played the most defensive snaps among the defensive linemen. At number 9, I've got Alex Kelly, who has the most plus plays among the offensive linemen. And then number 10, I was kind of torn between Derek McCartney and Stefan But I'll give McCartney the call there. He has been kind of banged up with that stinger that he suffered. He hasn't been in the lineup as much as we thought he was going to be this season. But he at least started out really well, and I think he's starting to get healthy again. I think he could finish out with a pretty good finish to the season. Anything? Yeah, I mean... I've-
1: I was just gonna throw out on McCartney. He, it seems like he's right there on so many plays. Mm-hmm. He's just missed sacks countless times a game. It seems like, but you got to get there. I mean, you can. How, I can't tell you how many times in the last three games I've watched a play where we're almost there. That's twenty yards down the field, completed pass. I mean, if you get a couple of those a game, it really can change the how the
2: game looks. So I feel like the biggest difference here was you had Kenneth pretty high, and both of us had Sefo in there. Mm-hmm. Um, who's played better this year, Sefo Lufa or Kenneth Olubote?
0: I well, I have. I know, but I think it's. But, but why? <laughs> uh, I, well, like as McIntyre says, there are times when it's not always necessarily the guy who's making the tackle. It's the guy who's covering up, you know, the guy out of the slot that no one else is picking up. There's little mm-hmm. intricacies that he does, and you could see some of the frustration after the Arizona game in the, the fact that he wasn't out there. That while the true freshman linebackers made some plays. I think his absence out there really affects his defense. You could make an argument there, I guess. I just I feel like game to game, Kenneth Olobode has been a little bit more consistent than Sefo has been.
1: Yeah, I mean to me, it's Kenneth has missed games again this year, and Sefo has been out there despite obviously being injured as well. And to me, Kenneth hasn't really separated himself that much to me from the freshman. I don't mental I don't, side though. I think no, yeah, and I don't know as much about the defensive side of the ball. I, I will admit, like you obviously you see guys when they make plays, so yeah. you could totally be right that he's you know guarding people on the right assignment and people are going he's throwing getting people are going the other the direction. The trick play
0: that Arizona scored on where no one had picked right. up the guy. That's an example exactly. of what I'm using.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's one of those things you don't really miss a guy until you realize the play that he might have made. Yeah. Okay but so it's hard to really say. I'm not as good at evaluating the linebackers for sure, but I don't know, he just hasn't he hasn't he's hurt, so he's got that going for him as well. But yeah, I mean he hasn't been bad by any means. He would Maybe, have been, he would have been in my probably first three after the top okay.
2: 10. So it's not like he's... I completely disagree, but... I, my thing with cepho is, like, he's not one of those players where I'm just constantly sitting there being afraid that he's going to do something to hurt the team. I, I think more times than not, he's do, he's doing plus plays for the team. It just... I'll be the first to say that he, just do, he doesn't have the clutch gene. He doesn't have what it takes to, you know, put that drive together at the end of the game. And you can say what you will, but I think in terms of Pac-12... Talent and being a serviceable player in the Pac 12, I have to put him in the top 10 of mine. Um, I was talking to Edward Lewis after that UCLA game, and he said if he was drafting the Pac 12 quarterbacks, he would, he would probably pick Cepho fifth. So I think, you know, w- when you look at the players on this team that are at the talent level of this conference, I put Cepho in my top 10.
0: I think Edward Lewis is going to get hired by a pro football focus. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> that yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's the
1: thing with me for Seffo, The biggest frustration for me is that he misses so many easy plays. Like the interception that he threw in that game, Nelson was wide open on a slant.
0: The interception well, he threw. Yeah, the he only threw one. Oh, this last game. Yeah,
1: the Socky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the um, in the Sanford game, he wide open slant, easy first down. Throw it easily six or seven feet over his head, right to the safety. It's like those are plays you have to make in games to keep drives going. We hear about all the time that we don't convert on third down. We miss so many simple plays throughout drives, and when you're a dink and dunk offense, you can't miss those plays because if you get behind the eight ball, it's so hard to come back. We're not a high-powered offense that can get yardage in chunks. You have to be able to hit those easy plays if you want your offense to be successful. Yeah, Like I said,
2: I think him being so high on my list is more of a, uh, of a sign of what, what's around him, to be honest. Yeah. Not to mention his offensive line has been absolutely yeah. terrible in front of him all year
0: so yeah it's like even when he gets protection he's not consistently able to get in a rhythm through four quarters but yet you also have the pass protection issue that's a recipe for disaster and it's kind of played out that way at times for this offense plus
2: you have to bring into account though the way what he's done with his legs in the last four weeks and what that's done for the offense i mean he basically has solved their short yardage woes with you know, you know that that quarterback
0: yeah. trap that they've been running yep so if we were going to redo the top 10, with Ryan and I both putting Chido Bayouze first, he would be first mm-hmm. on the list. Any concern that he could potentially leave early for the NFL? Andrew Hobner tweeted out, this is going back, I think the Oregon State week, about the fact that he might leave early for the NFL. And at that point, I was like, no, the chances of that happening are very little. But you just keep watching him make play after play after play. And it's like somebody else out there is noticing what, what he's doing.
1: Oh, I would think that that's definitely true. I mean, he's a great college football player. Um, it's the size thing for me. Just with his size, I mean, yes, he's probably going to play slot corner. So I, I just, I don't know. He's probably a third or a fourth round grade, maybe would be my guess. And I mean, you know, David Bakhtiari left early doing that, but I don't think that's the norm. Um, Cheeto seems really tied into McIntyre, too. I mean, they've known each other forever. Yeah. I would be surprised if he left. I don't think I would be completely taken aback by it. If you get a third-round grade and you want to go to the NFL, that's great. I mean, more power to you. Um, but I, I, my confidence level on him being back next year is pretty high. I, I would think he would want to be there for that last run to see if maybe they can make a push
0: to get into a bowl and he, and he is a good student. He cares about his academics, and he didn't redshirt, so you would think he'd want to come back to be able to finish his degree. That would be another thing, kind of pulling him back.
2: Yeah, uh, the number one thing leading me to, I guess, be, quote-unquote, worried about him leaving. is just the, the luck that CU as a school seems to have with these things. It seems like every time it's, well, maybe they end up going, except for Nelson Spruce last year. But uh, who knows how serious, you know, we don't know what kind of grade he got back. But it just seems like every time there's a player like this, they end up going going back to Bakhtiari and on the basketball side, Andre and Spencer and Alec. So uh, I, that's what the number one thing I wouldn't be surprised at. Just be like, oh, another bad break for the Buffs. You know, what can you do? Um, but my my gut tells me
0: he will be back. What's well, going to be interesting too next season is you would think Cheeto Beowuze as the individual is going to be wanting to get some cornerback more cornerback film out there for the Pro Scouts, but yet he can make more plays in his nickelback yeah, role close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah,
1: that's going to be a difficult decision for the coaching staff because he's really the best when he's able to come in up on run support and you know do all the things that he does now get make plays in the backfield. He's not going to be able to do that as much at corner.
2: And maybe that leads them to, um, if they lose this next game, officially eliminating them from bull contention, um, get Isaiah Oliver in there and kind of get him some more reps so you can see what you're going to have to do, well if you're going to be able to stick him at corner next year and keep Cheeto in that role.
0: It's been kind of sad to see Kenneth Crawley not be able to take that next step because I just don't see him getting a chance in the NFL. Whereas, three months ago, we would have been, we were talking about that.
1: I still think the NFL is such a factory of, um, you know, did they just want to see the measurables more than anything else? I still think that someone is going to be take a chance on them. I don't think they're necessarily going to be right the way that I've watched him play today, but just the physical characteristics that he has, I think somebody will.
0: You've got to have better ball skills that and instincts to be able to play in the NFL. There's just I'm, no I'm way. I'm not
1: disagreeing. I just think somebody will take a chance. I don't <laughs> think he's going to be a successful NFL player the way that he's played this year, though.
2: I talked to someone this weekend about this exactly, and their point was NFL coaches are selfish, um, and they, they, their egos lead them to believe they can you know, change players like this. So I kind of am with Tyler in the, in the fact that he will get a shot
0: is a free agent um, signing is, is what you're looking at?
2: Free agent signing or a late late round pick. Um, just because he does, it, like you look at him, he looks like the you know the prototypical body that you want out, out of a corner. Um, and it's not that he lacks speed, so he has all that that going for him. And some someone will say, okay, let's see, let's just give it a chance. Maybe he had bad coaching. Maybe he developed bad habits that we can break him
0: out of. You talk about the measurables, and of course Stefan Nembot has that, and then, but he's been very inconsistent. Even some sometimes this year, it seems like he's done a little bit better on the left side. Does he get drafted before Nelson Spruce? No, mm,
1: it would be close. I would say they're both probably fourth round guys. Okay, somewhere in there, I could see either one. Sneaking into the late Wouldn't that third, be just maybe.
0: be crazy from a perspective standpoint, yeah. though, if Nembaugh gets drafted before it, Nelson it Spruce? It would, but
1: it's the same thing. The same thing that you always see in all scouting. It's just, Nelson Spruce has a ceiling in the NFL, okay? Let's be honest. It, it is what it is. Stefan Nembot has a lot of physical gifts that I think people think they can tap into. So the potential for him is much higher, so I could see him going higher. It, but it is funny in terms of a watching-the-two-play football yeah. perspective. I just
2: hope Nelson Spruce goes to one of those teams that he could just flourish on, like, I hope Tom Brady is throwing balls to Nelson. <laughs> right, yeah. like that would be so cool to see. Yeah, the, uh, but you know, you stick him on the Jaguars, and he can find his way out of the league pretty quickly because you just don't. He doesn't have a quarterback, and it's not an offense that can use his skill set.
1: Yeah, it's so funny that you see that all the time in the NFL. It seems like I'll use my team for an example. Out of all the teams in the NFL, why would the Browns draft Johnny Manziel? Goes against everything that they've ever been as a franchise. You can see he makes great plays in the first half of that game on Thursday, and the coach is like, oh, well, we need to keep in the pocket. He's getting a little crazy out there. It's like, no, he's Johnny Manziel. Let him be Let him crazy, do what he yeah. does. That He's making plays, and they're like, no, he's got to stay in the pocket. He's missing guys when he's in the pocket. It's like, why? If you're the Browns, I just don't understand why. It happens all the time with teams all the time. You draft a guy who completely doesn't fit what you do at all. I mean, what are you going to do with that?
2: And you look at the successful franchises – Like the Patriots, they never do that. They always draft a guy who fits into exactly what they do.
0: All right, well, three games left on the schedule. What matchup do you like best for the Buffs between USC, Washington State, and Utah? And uh, this could be the same answer or a different answer, the best chance for them to win a football game.
1: Uh, For me, it would be Washington State. Uh, I think that they do what we do most similarly. Um, USC... Is ne- never a good matchup for us. Just the, f- the the pure athletes on that team. There's somebody on the field that is so much better than somebody on the field for us on offense all, all the time. Whether you're triple teaming Juju or whatever you need to do to keep him out of the game, somebody's going to be open for them on every single play. They're much more physical off the point of attack. Uh, they're really really talented football team. I, I mean, they struggle a little bit on defense, but they'll make enough plays to me. To not, they, I don't think that game will be all that close to me. Washington State, it you know they're not that they they're much improved this year, but they do a lot of the same things we do. They're not that physical. I think maybe we can do some things with them offensively, um, you, you, running the ball. Um, and I, I just we you mentioned this a little bit beforehand. We've done pretty well against leach coach teams in the past, so I, I think that's the most confidence I have. I say Going back just,
0: to Texas Tech and through all these coaches. I don't think Leach has ever blown out the Buffs in a game.
1: Uh, we've beaten them, I think, more most than, of the time. Than, I remember with Hawkins. Yeah. Um, I think we beat Texas Tech the year that um, Terrence Wheatley had three picks. That was a, that was a home game, I think, as well.
2: Um, there was one that time they beat them that the fans charged the field. That was the uh, the powder blue in the stands day. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh <God. laughs> they did lose the game where Greg Henderson and uh, was it Anthony Perkins got beat on that double move. Oh, against and that, that was State. the junk. No,
2: but wasn't that under. Wolf? Was that
0: Wolf? Yeah, you might be right. I think that was pre-Leach. I mean, we,
2: beat, we beat Leach
1: in Embry year. That was the year that we were the worst yeah, team possibly yeah. ever, 2012.
0: And there was no reason that Washington State yeah. should have lost that yeah. football game. Except
2: for Mike Leach being Mike Leach. Exactly. Um, before the show, I actually said Utah, and then I just sat here thinking about that. And I realized how many times this year I've thought to myself, why is this team passing the ball when they should just run it every play? Well, Washington State will pass the ball when they should probably just keep running it. Um, and that's the only thing that kind of... I don't like any of these matchups. I think the way that Washington State throws the ball is, is dynamic. And I don't think the Buffs have enough quite enough guys in the secondary to stop it. Um, I think they can—you know—they could just go ahead and pick on Akello all day if they wanted to. Um, but I, I really had that thought of just... Uh, you know USC if they start getting the running game going, they're just going to keep pounding the rock and use the fact that they just you know rock have a bigger, stronger, faster offensive line. Um, and the same thing with the Utah. You know they'd love to hand it to Booker 35 times if they could, and they probably will be able to in that game. So yeah, I guess I I lean back towards Washington State as being the best chance.
0: Now Utah is another team they've competed with every year since joining the Pac-12. They should have beaten them last year. In Folsom Field, they did beat them on the road uh, in, in John Embry's first year to break that long road losing streak.
2: The last time they were in Salt Lake, it was another one where Cepho had a chance to to lead a, a yep. game winning drive down the field with like a little over a minute left.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really, I think we're all in agreement that this Friday could potentially get ugly, kind of like the Stanford game.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, USC traditionally has done whatever they wanted with us on offense. So,
0: yeah,
2: it's one of those things where just. Some crazy things have to break for the Buffs to have a chance. You know, they need to take a kickback for a touchdown or, you know, uh, a pick six. or yeah, you know, yeah. And it needs to be early, you know. Like, yeah. they get that almost pick six from Tedrick, and even when they're about to punch it in, it only makes it 17-35, and I'm sitting there thinking there's no way they're even going to get enough possessions in this game to
0: go and win that. They uh, were going to hand out the Buffalo Heart Award after the game since it is the last home game this Friday. Who would you guys give that award to? Cheeto. Even though... He usually guys
2: goes
0: like, to a, a senior. He doesn't have to, though. So you're going Cheeto Baobuze, okay. I mean, he's the toughest dude on the team besides Sefo, Sefo in my eyes, up, and yeah. I don't
1: think you're going to – I mean, is Cefo going to get it?
0: No, no I, I think Nelson Spruce. or Jared Bell would be – and then okay. Justin Solis would be kind of a – but he's not going to get a vote, but he'd be another guy you look at that really stepped up this season.
2: I hope Nelson gets it just because of his body of work, and I just think – uh, he doesn't necessarily fit the exact mold that the, the the award usually goes to. It usually goes to a very vocal um, type of guy who who is great with the media and that sort of thing and not that Nelson isn't good with the media, but I just I hope it goes to him because I like I wrote last, at the beginning of last week, I just feel like he's been underappreciated. I feel like this would kind of be a nice gesture of the fans to say we understand you know you how great you were in a bad time.
0: Yeah to be that great and yet have so few wins to be able to enjoy throughout your career. Uh, but then I, I think I would give the vote to Jared Bell to have both your knees and to have the you know, the resiliency to stick around and go through a second rehab. I mean, a lot of guys would have just kind of walked after it happened the second time and go, you know, I don't need to f- fight back just to play a bit role on this team. And he's handled his role this season so well. He didn't mm-hmm. get to start until recently, and he's kept a positive attitude throughout that. So I don't think it's too bad you can't give that award to more than one guy because – I think both Jared Bell and Nelson would de- deserve that.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, n- in no way would I be upset to see Jared Bell get that award.
0: All right, well, aside from an upset win, what do you guys want to see out of this Buffs team in the next three weeks going into the offseason? One, it's got, they got to start punching the ball in when they get the red zone. That, you've yeah. got to show some improvement here these last yeah, few games. Yeah, I mean, you,
1: you can say whatever you want about your offense overall, but if you're not scoring points in the red zone, you need a new offense. I mean, it's pretty much as simple as that. If you can't score when you're close to the end zone, you're not going to be successful in football. It's just the way that it is for me. So we definitely have to improve there. Um, I would like to see them obviously get Nelson Spruce more involved to try to fix those woes. I mean, he's the best player on your I'm offense. I've had that record,
2: so Marks doesn't go catch him next year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yo, he might be gone too. Yeah, yeah so. possible. Did,
0: How many catches did Gabe Marks have last week? Do you guys I have don't any know. idea? I don't know. He was 81 behind Nelson going into last week. Which eighty one sounds like a lot of receptions in that Smart. offense. That's like yeah, no. three
1: games. <laughs> He's probably got he probably has eighty one on the year already.
0: Eight eight surely.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. That that's what kinda what I wanna see. Um give me something in one of the games. I, you can't get blown out in all three. Obviously. I mean that'd be four blowouts in a row to Neruda end the year, and that's not gonna look good on the staff. It's not obviously. Um, so I'd like to see us be competitive and maybe make a couple of the games interesting. I don't think we're gonna win any one of them. So I'm not going to say that that needs to happen, but it, I'd like to see it be competitive and, you know, give it, give it a shot.
2: My thing is, if you're in one of these in the fourth quarter, they have to finish it. Um, and I, get, I, I just have a feeling they will. One of these games, um, between what we talked about with uh, the way they match up with Mike Leach and the way they've played Utah close, I just have a feeling. And, you know, just all the storylines going into this Friday with Zim's last game, it's, you know, senior night, it's kind of everything that can kind of lift them a little more if that ever does anything. If they are in one of these in the fourth quarter, you have to see them finish it. so we don't have that same we don't have to have that same conversation again about how they blew another late chance. Um, other than that, yeah, it's the, the fix, fixing the red zone. Um, maybe you'd like to see one of these backs, you know, have three good games in a row. Uh, it's something that we haven't seen. I don't seen. think
0: that's ever going to happen. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> so, I don't know, a couple things, but um, maybe uh, some some better play calling to uh, appease the fans. Just But when it comes down to it, to me, it's if you have a chance to win one of these, you have to have to have to have it.
0: Think about how much more confident Cepho Lufa would go into an offseason if he had completed one of these game-winning drives and had finally gotten over that hump. and. And, and had that in his back pocket to say, I, I've done this before versus having to go into the offseason with so many question marks. I think that would be so huge.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to look back on that Arizona game as the one that we probably should have had. See, Hawaii,
0: I think UCLA,
2: Arizona. UCLA is the only one where I, I really say they were the better team on the field for almost the entire game.
0: Arizona, UCLA, and Hawaii, no matter what happens these last three games, you're going to look back in a couple months and go, gosh, how did they let some of those games slip away?
2: Hawaii, I mean, is a pretty obvious one because they were the, they're actually the better team. They had more, they had more talent than Hawaii.
0: What they you, fired their coach in the middle of the season. Yeah, I mean, you ooh. can't beat that team?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's the only one where you can definitively say they had better players.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, honestly, I thought we looked better than Arizona as well. We, I, to me, that's the one I feel like we found a way to lose. The most. I mean UCLA. We had to come back in the second half a little bit as well. Obviously, we should have had more points in the first half. But I, I was actually proud of the way we played in that UCLA game overall. You know, as you look back on it a couple of days later, the Arizona game. I still feel like we we blew a chance against a team that I really think yeah, were three, were competitive against three and at home
2: three times with the ball in their hand to take a two score lead in the in the late third quarter. So yeah.
0: You uh, still holding your stance on Brian Lindgren? I still think this is a, a young coordinator gonna be, that I'm not going to
1: be mad if he's back, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's gone. That's what I'll say. I mean, you have to. I don't. I mean, the red zone offense thing. You have to look at him. Those. That's where you have to be successful. I don't know. To me,
0: I still look at him as a coordinator that's got a really high upside.
1: Yeah, I mean, you. I don't know that there's a better option out there. So that's obviously an important key to it as well. He's got to be better in the next three games, though, because there's been an, it's been enough times now where, you're, where every it's not just me or you. Everyone out there that's watching the game is sitting there, like, watching that play call that just happened.
2: Like, what was that? Come on, man. He kind of, he kind of reminds me of Cepho in the sense of that he does a lot of good things, and then all of a sudden there's just this huge head scratcher at an important time yeah. where you think, what was, what were they thinking there?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, how
2: many drives have you seen where we just,
1: you know, Three straight passes down the middle, Sean Irwin or whoever it is, great plays, wide open plays, only to go back into really simple formation. It, you know exactly what's coming on the play. It gets dropped for minus two yards. The fact then we do a rollout with one guy running out to the right with Cepho, who's obviously covered by the four people on that side of the field, and throw it out of bounds, and then all of a sudden you're at third and 12, nothing happens. Seems like it happens all the time.
2: The fact that they haven't used George Frazier in the red zone, I know that peeves you.
0: Yeah, It does. Especially when you look back to last year, they started out the season struggling in the red zone offensively. That's when they got George Frazier involved, and all of a sudden they were good in the red zone offensively. Right. You, the, the play that sticks out to me is Stanford
1: on that fourth and one. I'm like, they're throwing this ball to the tight end. He's going to go right through the formation. He does it, and it's just like a beautiful. Call. That's yeah, and it's but it's so obvious. So too. obvious, yeah. Like everyone, you. Come on, man! Like you have I mean, to do something like that in a game. And that's a call that the good teams always have the nuts to make that call. CU never makes that call. Those are like the differentiators for but me. The
2: thing, it's like something obvious like the, that. The thing that makes it easy on offensive coordinators when they're playing CU is they know that CU has to kind of over pursue if they're going to stop them. Uh, if it's, if they've run the ball there, CU needs all of their players going in. So it's easy for David Shaw to say, "All right, well they have to sell out on the run. So let's just call this." You know, when the Buffs call a play like that, the the opposing defense doesn't necessarily think they have to sell out on the run, so they might just cover the tight end.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're playing the blame game, there's no question that Brian Lindgren is part of that and, and deserves a percentage. But just like you said, you don't know if there's a better offense coordinator out there. How many offense coordinators with Cepho's inconsistency and the offensive line pass protection issues is really going to have a ton of success? I mean, I can't, I'm not going to
1: say I know the answer to that question. But to me, there's a lot of obvious... Things that they could be doing that we haven't done so far. Okay. Still
0: haven't had a successful running back screen. They've yeah. tried a few times recently.
1: Yeah. And how? To me though, it's like third and five. How is Nelson Spruce not getting the ball fifty percent of the time in the red zone? Why is Nelson? How many targets has Nelson Spruce having the red zone this year? There was one last
2: week where terrible pass on the screen. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a touchdown. Yeah. See that.
1: See that was. But we haven't done any of that. That was actually a good call. Like I liked that call. Cephal obviously blew that one up. That was a terrible throw. But you have to give Nelson Spruce the football in the red zone. You have to, and we haven't done it.
2: If Nelson Spruce doesn't leave here with the touchdowns record, he's going to look back on tripping at the five-yard line oh in the first quarter. And it's going to haunt <laughs> yeah, him the rest <laughs> of his life.
0: Are you guys excited, still excited to watch these last three games, or are you kind of ready to turn the page for basketball? Uh, I'm I not excited so. about either. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm just, yeah. It's kind of a
1: tough part of the year because... I mean, lot, you know, the last few years we thought we had basketball, too. It was like, the basketball team will be good. Like, this is going to be fun. We'll have somebody fun to watch. And it's like, I don't think the basketball team is going to be awful this year. But they're not going to be as good as they have been in the years past, so it's not quite as high of a, you know, I'm not really as ready for it. It, it snuck up on me a little bit this year more than it has in years past. Um, I'm excited to watch the football games, but just because of who they're playing, like, there's not really an expectation out there that we're going to win, which... Keep It keeps it tempered a little bit for me.
0: We talked a lot about Nelson Spruce last three games to be able to watch him play mm-hmm. football. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to kind of soak that in a little bit. Any other seniors you're really going to miss?
1: Um, From an on-field production standpoint, n- sadly. Well, that's also a good thing, too. Not really. Um, I mean, you think about guys that are going to be replaced next year. This is the first time in a while, besides Nelson, that it's like,
2: Well, I, then I then think Bob, we can replace that person. Nembott and Kelly is a little, or Nembot yeah, just Nembot. Yeah, Nembot that's concerning because it's not like they have some great player in waiting to take over that position.
1: I guess, I mean, with if, assuming Irwin comes back, I think you can move Sage or Lacella with a year. He's not going to be as good as Nembot, but I don't think that the gap is going to be as big as maybe in some years
0: past. Lacella has gotten a little bit better. I felt like it was almost unfair to him to be put in that position to have to start midway yeah. through the season? Because I felt he was just another year away. I think he could it's, be a okay guy in there. It's pretty
2: much a guarantee, though, that when we do a preview podcast next year, we're going to be saying that offensive line is the biggest position of worry.
0: Yeah,
1: I guess. I mean, I still think it'll, it's that four of the guys are going to be back with Irwin. I mean, it, the, the thing about the offensive line is it falls apart quick. You lose your best lineman in Jeremy Irwin. Both the guards get hurt. It starts to look ugly in a hurry. I mean, I, I get that. So, I, I feel like maybe it's a little bit worse than it actually is. You know, if you, if you get those, like if everybody was healthy all, all year, I mean, I think it would look a lot better to me. So, I'm not as down on the O line in, in the future, I think.
0: And Justin Solis is, is leaving, but if Josh Tupo comes right. in, you're quickly forgetting about that situation. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I think a, heady, a healthy Eddie Lopez, I and mean, you can move Jordan Carroll inside. Samson Kafavalo. I mean, you can move guys
2: around. I'll miss Jared um, Bell for the fact that like I always knew, if I needed a, a good interview, he would be there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was he's played well in you know when needed this year. I I thought especially considering he he was hurt in fall camp. You could tell. I mean, he was limping around a lot. So I thought if he had to go in there and play, it was going to get ugly. And I felt bad because he's a great kid and he played really well for us in the past. But honestly, he's done a pretty good job overall. I think so. Yeah, you'll miss that a little bit as well, but. For the first time in a while, we're going to have a lot of starters back next year, a lot of guys who have played a lot of football. So uh, I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for this show. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you uh, download our preseason basketball episode that we uh, put out there earlier this week, the hoop season uh, beginning at 3 p.m. on Friday just before that home USC game. We'll talk to you again soon. I'm a player and I'm playing just to play. I'm a player and I'm playing just to play. I'm a player and I'm playing just to play. I'm a I'm just to play. I'm fake players, peep game from the real. Player hatin' lover, tell me how do you feel. When you front to the homies, how you grind?